Story twenty of Christmas Stories by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story twenty No Thoroughfare Part three The Housekeeper Speaks On the next day Mrs. Goldstraw arrived to enter on her domestic duties. Having settled herself in her own room, without troubling the servants, and without wasting time, the new housekeeper announced herself as waiting to be favoured with any instructions which her master might wish to give her. The wine-merchant received Mrs. Goldstraw in the dining-room, in which he had seen her on the previous day, and the usual preliminary civilities having passed on either side, the two sat down to take counsel together on the affairs of the house about the meals sir said mrs goldstraw have i a large or a small number to provide for if i can carry out a certain old-fashioned plan of mine replied mr wilding you will have a large number to provide for i am a lonely single man mrs goldstraw and i hope to live with all the persons in my employment as if they were members of my family until that time comes you will have only me and the new partner whom i expect immediately to provide for what my partner's habits may be i cannot yet say but i may describe myself as a man of regular hours with an invariable appetite that you may depend upon to announce about breakfast sir asked mrs goldstraw is there anything particular she hesitated and left the sentence unfinished her eyes turned slowly away from her master and looked towards the chimney-piece if she had been a less excellent and experienced housekeeper mr wilding might have fancied that her attention was beginning to wander at the very outset of the interview eight o'clock is my breakfast hour he resumed it is one of my virtues to be never tired of broiled bacon and it is one of my vices to be habitually suspicious of the freshness of eggs mrs goldstraw looked back at him still a little divided between her master's chimney-piece and her master i take tea mr wilding went on and i am perhaps rather nervous and fidgety about drinking it within a certain time after it is made if my tea stands too long he hesitated on his side and left the sentence unfinished if he had not been engaged in discussing a subject of such paramount interest to himself as his breakfast mrs goldstraw might have fancied that his attention was beginning to wander at the very outset of the interview if your tea stands too long sir said the housekeeper politely taking up her master's lost thread if my tea stands too long repeated the wine merchant mechanically his mind getting farther and farther away from his breakfast and his eyes fixing themselves more and more inquiringly on his housekeeper's face if my tea uh, dear dear me mrs goldstraw what is the manner and tone of voice that you remind me of it strikes me even more strongly to-day than it did when i saw you yesterday what can it be what can it be repeated mrs goldstraw she said the words evidently thinking while she spoke them of something else the wine merchant still looking at her inquiringly observed that her eyes wandered towards the chimney-piece once more they fixed on the portrait of his mother which hung there and looked at it with that slight contraction of the brow which accompanies a scarcely conscious effort of memory mr wilding remarked my late dear mother when she was five-and-twenty mrs goldstraw thanked him with a movement of the head for being at the pains 
to explain the picture and said with a cleared brow that it was the portrait of a very beautiful lady mr wilding falling back into his former perplexity tried once more to recover that lost recollection associated so closely and yet so undiscoverably with his new housekeeper's voice and manner excuse my asking you a question which has nothing to do with me or my breakfast he said may i inquire if you have ever occupied any other situation than the situation of housekeeper oh yes sir i began life as one of the nurses at the foundling why that's it cried the wine merchant pushing back his chair by heaven their manner is the manner you remind me of in an astonished look at him mrs goldstraw changed colour checked herself turned her eyes upon the ground and sat still and silent what is the matter asked mr wilding do i understand that you were in the foundling sir certainly i am not ashamed to own it under the name you now bear under the name of walter wilding and the lady mrs goldstraw stopped short with a look at the portrait which was now unmistakably a look of alarm you mean my mother interrupted mr wilding your mother repeated the housekeeper a little constrainedly removed you from the foundling at what age sir at between eleven and twelve years old it's quite a romantic adventure mrs goldstraw he told the story of the lady having spoken to him while he sat at dinner with the other boys in the foundling and of all that had followed in his innocently communicative way my poor mother could never have discovered me he added if she had not met with one of the matrons who pitied her the matron consented to touch the boy whose name was walter wilding as she went around the dinner-tables and so my mother discovered me again after having parted from me as an infant at the foundling doors at those words mrs goldstraw's hand resting on the table dropped helplessly into her lap she sat looking at her new master with a face that had turned deadly pale and with eyes that expressed an unutterable dismay what does this mean asked the wine merchant stop he cried is there something else in the past time which i ought to associate with you i remember my mother telling me of another person at the foundling to whose kindness she owed a debt of gratitude when she first parted with me as an infant one of the nurses informed her of the name that had been given to me in the institution you were that nurse god forgive me sir i was that nurse god forgive you we had better get back sir if i may make so bold as to say so to my duties in the house said mrs goldstraw your breakfast hour is eight do you lunch or dine in the middle of the day the excessive pinkness which mr bintrey had noticed in his client's face began to appear there once more mr wilding put his hand to his head and mastered some momentary confusion in that quarter before he spoke again mrs goldstraw he said you are concealing something from me the housekeeper obstinately repeated please to favour me sir by saying whether you lunch or dine in the middle of the day i don't know what i do in the middle of the day i can't enter into my household affairs mrs goldstraw till i know why you regret an act of kindness to my mother which she always spoke of gratefully to the end of her life you are not doing me a service by your silence you are agitating me you are alarming me you are bringing on the singing in my head 
his hand went up to his head again and the pink in his face deepened by a shade or two it's hard sir on just entering your service said the housekeeper to say what may cost me the loss of your good will please to remember end how it may that i only speak because you have insisted on my speaking and because i see that i am alarming you by my silence when i told the poor lady whose portrait you have got there the name by which her infant was christened in the foundling i allowed myself to forget my duty and dreadful consequences i am afraid have followed from it i'll tell you the truth as plainly as i can a few months from the time when i had informed the lady of her baby's name there came to our institution in the country another lady a stranger whose object was to adopt one of our children she brought the needful permission with her and after looking at a great many of the children without being able to make up her mind she took a sudden fancy to one of the babies a boy under my care try pray try to compose yourself sir it's no use disguising it any longer the child the stranger took away was the child of that lady whose portrait hangs there mr wilding started to his feet impossible he cried out vehemently what are you talking about what absurd story are you telling me now there's her portrait haven't i told you so already the portrait of my mother when that unhappy lady removed you from the foundling in after years said mrs goldstraw gently she was the victim and you were the victim sir of a dreadful mistake he dropped back into his chair the room goes round with me he said my head my head the housekeeper rose in alarm and opened the windows before she could get to the door to call for help a sudden burst of tears relieved the oppression which had at first almost appeared to threaten his life he signed entreatingly to mrs goldstraw not to leave him she waited until the paroxysm of weeping had worn itself out he raised his head as he recovered himself and looked at her with the angry unreasoning suspicion of a weak man mistake he said wildly repeating her last word how do i know you are not mistaken yourself there is no hope that i am mistaken sir i will tell you why when you are better fit to hear it now now the tone in which he spoke warned mrs goldstraw that it would be cruel kindness to let him comfort himself a moment longer with the vain hope that she might be wrong a few words more would end it and those few words she determined to speak i have told you she said that the child of the lady whose portrait hangs there was adopted in its infancy and taken away by a stranger i am as certain of what i say as that i am now sitting here obliged to distress you sir sorely against my will please to carry your mind on now to about three months after that time i was then at the foundling in london waiting to take some children to our institution in the country there was a question that day about naming an infant a boy who had just been received we generally named them out of the directory on this occasion one of the gentlemen who managed the hospital happened to be looking over the register he noticed that the name of the baby who had been adopted walter wilding was scratched out for the reason of course that the child had been removed for good from our care here's a name to let he said give it to the new foundling who has been received to-day 
The name was given, and the child was christened. You, sir, were that child. The wine merchant's head dropped on his breast. I was that child, he said to himself, trying helplessly to fix the idea in his mind. I was that child. Not very long after you had been received into the institution, sir, pursued Mrs. Goldstraw, I left my situation there to be married. If you will remember that, and if you can give your mind to it, you will see for yourself how the mistake happened. Between eleven and twelve years passed before the lady, whom you have believed to be your mother, returned to the foundling to find her son, and to remove him to her own home. The lady only knew that her infant son had been called Walter Wilding. The matron who took pity on her could but point out the only Walter Wilding known in the institution. I, who might have set the matter right, was far away from the foundling, and all that belonged to it. There was nothing, there was really nothing, that could prevent this terrible mistake from taking place. I feel for you, I do indeed, sir. You must think, and with reason, that it was in an evil hour that I came here, innocently enough, I'm sure, to apply for your housekeeper's place. I feel as if I was to blame. I feel as if I ought to have had more self-command. If I had only been able to keep my face from showing you what that portrait and what your own words put into my mind, you need never, to your dying day, have known what you know now. Mr. Wilding looked up suddenly. The inbred honesty of the man rose in protest against the housekeeper's last words. His mind seemed to steady itself for the moment under the shocks that had fallen on it. "'Do you mean to say that you would have concealed this from me if you could?' he exclaimed. "'I hope I should always tell the truth, sir, if I was asked,' said Mrs. Goldstraw. "'And I know it is better for me that I should not have a secret of this sort weighing on my mind. But is it better for you? What use can it serve now?' "'What use?' why good lord if your story is true should i have told it sir as i am now situated if it had not been true i beg your pardon said the wine merchant you must make allowance for me this dreadful discovery is something i can't realize even yet we loved each other so dearly i felt so fondly that i was her son she died mrs goldstraw in my arms she died blessing me as only a mother could have blessed me and now, after all these years, to be told she was not my mother. Oh, me, oh, me, I don't know what I am saying, he cried, as the impulse of self-control under which he had spoken a moment since flickered and died out. It was not this dreadful grief, it was something else that I had it in my mind to speak of. Yes, yes, you surprised me, you wounded me just now. You talked as if you would have hidden this from me if you could. Don't talk in that way again. It would have been a crime to have hidden it. You mean well, I know. I don't want to distress you. You are a kind-hearted woman. But you don't remember what my position is. She left me all that I possess in the firm persuasion that I was her son. I am not her son. I have taken the place. I have innocently got the inheritance of another man. He must be found. How do I know he is not at this moment in misery, without bread to eat? He must be found. My only hope of bearing up against the shock that has fallen on me is the hope of doing something which she would have approved. 
you must know more mrs goldstraw than you have told me yet who was the stranger who adopted the child you must have heard the lady's name i never heard it sir i have never seen her or heard of her since did she say nothing when she took the child away search your memory she must have said something only one thing sir that i can remember it was a miserably bad season that year and many of the children were suffering from it when she took the baby away the lady said to me laughing don't be alarmed about his health he will be brought up in a better climate than this i am going to take him to switzerland to switzerland what part of switzerland she didn't say sir only that faint clue said mr wilding and a quarter of a century has passed since the child was taken away what am i to do i hope you don't take offence at my freedom sir said mrs goldstraw but why should you distress yourself about what is to be done he may not be alive now for anything you know and if he is alive it's not likely he can be in any distress the lady who adopted him was a bred and born lady it was easy to see that and she must have satisfied them at the foundling that she could provide for the child or they would never have let her take him away if i was in your place sir please to excuse my saying so i should comfort myself with remembering that i had loved that poor lady whose portrait you have got there truly loved her as my mother and that she had truly loved me as her son all she gave to you she gave for the sake of that love it never altered while she lived and it won't alter i'm sure as long as you live how can you have a better right sir to keep what you have got than that mr wilding's immovable honesty saw the fallacy in his housekeeper's point of view at a glance you don't understand me he said it's because i loved her that i feel it a duty a sacred duty to do justice to her son if he is a living man i must find him for my own sake as well as for his i shall break down under this dreadful trial unless i employ myself actively instantly employ myself in doing what my conscience tells me ought to be done i must speak to my lawyer i must set my lawyer at work before i sleep to-night he approached a tube in the wall of the room and called down through it to the office below leave me for a little mrs goldstraw he resumed i shall be more composed i shall be better able to speak to you later in the day we shall get on well i hope we shall get on well together in spite of what has happened it isn't your fault i know it isn't your fault there there shake hands and-and do the best you can in the house i can't talk about it now the door opened as mrs goldstraw advanced towards it and mr jarvis appeared send for mr bentry said the wine merchant say i want to see him directly the clerk unconsciously suspended the execution of the order by announcing mr vendale and showing in the new partner in the firm of wilding and company pray excuse me for one moment george vendale said wilding i have a word to say to jarvis send for mr bentry he repeated send at once mr jarvis laid a letter on the table before he left the room from our correspondence at neuchatel i should think sir the letter has got the swiss postmark new characters on the scene 
the words the swiss postmark following so soon upon the housekeeper's reference to switzerland wrought mr wilding's agitation to such a remarkable height that his new partner could not decently make a pretence of letting it pass unnoticed wilding he asked hurriedly and yet stopping short and glancing around as if for some visible cause of his state of mind what is the matter my good george vendale returned the wine merchant giving his hand with an appealing look rather as if he wanted help to get over some obstacle than as if he gave it in welcome or salutation my good george vendale so much is the matter that i shall never be myself again it is impossible that i can ever be myself again for in fact i am not myself the new partner a brown-checked handsome fellow of about his own age with a quick determined eye and an impulsive manner retorted with natural astonishment not yourself not what i supposed myself to be said wilding what in the name of wonder did you suppose yourself to be that you are not was the rejoinder delivered with a cheerful frankness inviting confidence from a more reticent man i may ask without impertinence now that we are partners there again cried wilding leaning back in his chair with a lost look at the other partners i had no right to come into this business it was never meant for me my mother never meant it should be mine i mean his mother meant it should be his if i mean anything or if i am anybody come come urged his partner after a moment's pause and taking possession of him with that calm confidence which inspires a strong nature when it honestly desires to aid a weak one whatever has gone wrong has gone wrong through no fault of yours i am very sure i was not in this counting-house with you under the old regime for three years to doubt you wilding we were not younger men than we are together for that let me begin our partnership by being a serviceable partner and setting right whatever is wrong has that letter anything to do with it ah said wilding with his hand to his temple there again my head i was forgetting the coincidence the swiss postmark at a second glance i see that the letter is unopened so it is not very likely to have much to do with the matter said vendale with comforting composure is it for you or for us for us said wilding suppose i open it and read it aloud to get it out of our way thank you thank you the letter is only from our champagne-making friends the house of neuchatel dear sir we are in receipt of yours of the twenty-eighth ult informing us that you have taken your mr vindale into partnership whereon we beg you to receive the assurance of our felicitations permit us to embrace the occasion of specially commending to you monsieur jules obenreiser impossible wilding looked up in quick apprehension and cried hmm? impossible sort of name returned his partner slightly obenreiser of specially commending to you monsieur jules obenreiser of soho square london north side henceforth fully credited as our agent and who has already had the honour of making the acquaintance of your mr vendale in his said said monsieur obenreiser's native country switzerland to be sure pooh pooh what have i been thinking of i remember now when travelling with his niece with his uh, vendale had so slurred the last word that wilding had not heard it 
when travelling with his niece obenreizer's niece said vendale in a somewhat superfluously lucid manner niece of obenreizer i met him in my first swiss tour travelled a little with them and lost them for two years met them again my swiss tour before last and have lost them ever since obenreizer niece of obenreizer to be sure possible sort of name after all monsieur obenreizer is in possession of our absolute confidence and we do not doubt you will esteem his merits duly signed by the house de fresner at sea very well i undertake to see monsieur obenreizer presently and clear him out of the way that clears the swiss postmark out of the way so now my dear wilding tell me what i can clear out of your way and i'll find a way to clear it more than ready and grateful to be thus taken charge of the honest wine merchant wrung his partner's hand and beginning his tale by pathetically declaring himself an impostor told it it was on this matter no doubt that you were sending for bintrey when i came in said his partner after reflecting it was he has experience and a shrewd head i shall be anxious to know his opinion it is bold and hazardous in me to give you mine before i know his but i am not good at holding back plainly then i do not see these circumstances as you see them i do not see your position as you see it as to your being an impostor my dear wilding that is simply absurd because no man can be that without being a consenting party to an imposition clearly you never were so as to your enrichment by the lady who believed you to be her son and whom you were forced to believe on her showing to be your mother consider whether that did not arise out of the personal relations between you you gradually became much attached to her she gradually became much attached to you it was on you personally you as i see the case that she conferred these worldly advantages it was from her personally her that you took them she supposed me objected wilding shaking his head to have a natural claim upon her which i had not i must admit that replied his partner to be true but if she had made the discovery that you have made six months before she died do you think it would have cancelled the years you were together and the tenderness that each of you had conceived for the other each on increasing knowledge of the other what i think said wilding simply but stoutly holding to the bare fact can no more change the truth than it can bring down the sky the truth is that i stand possessed of what was meant for another man he may be dead said vendale he may be alive said wilding and if he is alive have i not innocently i grant you innocently robbed him of enough have i not robbed him of all the happy time that i enjoyed in his stead have i not robbed him of the exquisite delight that filled my soul when that dear lady stretching his hand towards the picture told me she was my mother have i not robbed him of all the care she lavished on me have i not even robbed him of all the devotion and duty that i so proudly gave to her therefore it is that i ask myself george vendale and i ask you where is he what has become of him who can tell i must try to find out who can tell 
i must institute inquiries i must never desist from prosecuting inquiries i will live upon the interest of my share i ought to say his share in this business and will lay up the rest for him when i find him i may perhaps throw myself upon his generosity but i will yield up all to him i will i swear as i loved and honoured her said wilding reverently kissing his hand towards the picture and then covering his eyes with it as i loved and honoured her and have a world of reasons to be grateful to her and so broke down again his partner rose from the chair he had occupied and stood beside him with a hand softly laid upon his shoulder walter i knew you before to-day to be an upright man with a pure conscience and a fine heart it is very fortunate for me that i have the privilege to travel on in life so near to so trustworthy a man i am thankful for it use me as your right hand and rely upon me to the death don't think the worse of me if i protest to you that my uppermost feeling at present is a confused you may call it an unreasonable one i feel far more pity for the lady and for you because you did not stand in your supposed relations than i can feel for the unknown man if he ever became a man because he was unconsciously displaced you have done well in sending for mr bintrey what i think will be a part of his advice i know is the whole of mine do not move a step in this serious matter precipitately the secret must be kept among us with great strictness for to part with it lightly would be to invite fraudulent claims to encourage a host of knaves to let loose a flood of perjury and plotting i have no more to say now walter than to remind you that you sold me a share of your business expressly to save yourself from more work than your present health is fit for and that i bought it expressly to do work and mean to do it with these words and a parting grip of his partner's shoulder that gave them the best emphasis they could have had george vendale betook himself presently to the counting-house and presently afterwards to the address of m jules obenreizer end of story twenty part three